an act, the 27th of George II, 1753, for granting money for public works. The sum of £4,000 to George, Archbishop of Armagh, John, Archbishop of Tuam, the Honourable Arthur Hill and Reverend Thomas Staples, clerk, to make a wagon way and to carry on a coal work at Drumglass near Dungannon in the County Tyrone. It's one of the earliest official references to the existence of coal in East Tyrone. But coal had been dug at Derry in the parish of Tullinisken near Coal Island a hundred years earlier, and on a more commercial basis at Drumglass near the end of the 17th century. W.R. Hutchison, historian, author of Tyrone Precinct. The discovery of coal there, to any great extent, uh, goes back to 1692, after the Williamite period. Uh, before that, uh, farmers had been mining coal in their own backyards uh, because the seams were at a very steep incline and came to the surface in uh, several areas around about there. In fact, I've seen a piece of coal myself taken from a farmer's backyard with the original tree fern fossil uh, firmly implanted on it. Uh, it really was the start of all the other industries, the pottery, and uh, it gave a great stimulus to the linen and the glass-making industry, they all really stem from the coal. Uh, 1692 it was the date at which uh, it began to be worked on a sort of systematic uh, basis, and largely under the impetus of the local landlord here, Lord Northland. Uh, in the 18th century, uh, it developed, and uh, a company was formed about 1765, and which, oddly enough, uh, the father of the Duke of Wellington he was governor, or I suppose uh, chairman of the, of the company, and the local gentry all had their part in it. And then the problem was uh, uh, disposing of this coal. And uh, the place where they seemed to want the coal most was Dublin, because they were holding up supplies of English coal there. And uh, they came up to the north here to try and find out if they could get cheap coal here which made way, in turn, for the canal, the Coal Island Canal, and the outlet to the sea, uh, the Irish Sea. The, the finding of coal in the Congo and Drumglass areas uh, gave the idea that it should be uh, transported to the principal towns in Ireland, especially on the east coast, such as Newry, Dundalk and Dublin and the canal from Cool Island was uh, made for that purpose and it went up as far as Congo although I don't think that the that part of the canal from Cool Island to Congo was actually ever filled with water. Mm. Yes, uh, that's right. Duckert, uh, Duggar Canal starting from Coal Island. You see, the Coal Island Canal led from Coal Island to Loch Ney. Well, now, Duckert planned an extension from Coal Island uh, to the Drumglass Coal Pits. That's about a distance of about a mile and a half or two miles uh, away from uh, Coal Island in a Dungannon direction. Now, he dug the canal all right uh, and had another curious way of managing the locks. The only thing was they weren't locks. They were three different levels. Uh, absolutely level, and the connection between these three levels was made by a system of rollers called hurries, H-U-R-R-I-E-S. 
and the connection was made by running the barge first of all along the waterway then hoisting it onto the rollers it uh, rolled down the rollers onto the next waterway and thus reached Coal Island. The heavy barge going down full of coal was intended to pull up an empty barge by means of pulleys and ropes. Now this worked very well and an English engineer called Smeaton came over and gave it his approval. Unfortunately they hadn't paid much attention to the water supply and they found they couldn't uh, maintain enough water in the top level uh, to run a barge. So after having one successful journey with a barge of coal to Coal Island, the whole thing uh, collapsed. And uh, there's still uh, signs of the hurries to be seen this day, but the canal itself is filled in. And it's just a name now, Duckert's Canal. Just a name now. Uh, the only really uh, imposing relic left is uh, the aqueduct at New Mills, which is a, a magnificent piece of... Um, architecture you might say because it's beautifully carved out of the local sandstone to this day it's, it's there as a monument to Duckert. At least one other monument to Duckert and to his efforts to provide a waterway to the coal fields still stands in Coal Island. Councillor Jim Cannon lives in a house built by the 18th century engineer. I understand that, that Dukeyart or Duckert as he's sometimes called uh, built this house and the one next door the time the canal was, was built in Coal Island in the 1770s. That wasn't a great success, of course. Uh, no. The, well, certainly the extension that he built wasn't. Uh, the, the, the canal, as far as Coal Island, uh, was a success, all right, and, and continued up until the, the wartime. But the, the extension he had uh, from here to the, the coal fields up in Drumglass, up through New Mills, it certainly didn't work. The dry hurry system appears to have been a failure. But I, I, uh, I know for a fact, uh, I've seen a map, where uh, in 1776 a man by the name of Francis Sloan I think uh, put forward a proposal to put a canal in underground from uh, somewhere in the region of um, Gorchin Hill up into the Drumglass collieries to float the, float the coal out from Drumglass drum uh, through an underground canal system but uh, this uh, obviously didn't come to pass either so in Coal Island we seem to have a, a, a history of, of near misses. Near misses, yes, but worse. Incompetence, waste, dishonesty and a widespread misappropriation of public funds were a feature of the early development of the Tyrone collieries. Even the association of the Archbishop of Armagh, George Stone, and of such names as the Earl of Mornington and Lord Viscount Dungannon with the mining companies was no guarantee against corruption. There was uh, a young clergyman in Grange Gorman down Dublin who thought that his parishioners were paying far too much for the local coal and he came up on horseback to Dungannon to see if he could get coal at a reasonable rate. His name was Featherstone, the Reverend James Featherstone. He arrived uh, at the Congo pit, I was mentioning earlier on there, uh, to find the Congo management in complete disarray and the Archbishop of Armagh, no less, sitting in the office trying to make head or tail of the accounts. And to his great uh, surprise, he was appointed manager of uh, Drumglass uh, Collieries on the spot. But uh, I'm afraid there were too many vested interests in not making the coal mines a success at that time because the Irish Parliament was supplying liberal funds to such enterprises as coal mines at that time. 
And a lot of this uh, cash was being diverted into uh, certain pockets, albeit there were churchmen uh, helping to run the mines. And Featherstone, he had to pack up. He, he couldn't do a thing about it. Uh, he even lost his own private income in trying to make the mines a success. And there was a lot of uh, dirty work in every sense of the word going mm. on, I believe, as regards oh. accounts. Oh, absolutely, yes. Uh, they were fiddled, all right. And uh, Featherstone, being an honest man, uh, they tried to bribe him to overlook certain irregularities, but he, he actually took uh, some of the people he suspected of dishonesty, he took them to court. And uh, when the day came for the big trial, uh, it was found that no witnesses could turn up. They all had been uh, intimidated. <laughs> And uh, poor old Featherston had to withdraw with his head down, I'm afraid, and his fortune uh, lost. According to Watson's Almanac for 1769, the Reverend Featherston was still in that year Secretary of Tyrone Colliers Incorporated. A man who had taken a lease of land from the primate in 1723, Francis Seymour, was still working the pit he had opened at Brackerville near Coal Island in 1729, when he published an interesting pamphlet entitled Remarks on a Scheme for Supplying Dublin with Coals. The whole district from Charlemont to Mount Joy, he said, abounded in coal, and he was himself exporting it from Coal Island to consumers on the shores of Loch Ney. Besides Brackerville, he mentioned three other collieries at work in Drumglass, Gortnesgay and Creenagh. Many more were to follow, right up to modern times. George Beatty, managing director of the Coal Island Weaving Company, mentioned some of them. Coal has been found in in the there are at least three town lands around Coal Island in which the coal was found, and those town lands were Derry, Anacher, and Gordgoners. Now, there was another town land known as Drumglass, which is between Coal Island and Dungannon. And uh, I think the coal field in the Drumglass area was known as the Congo Coal. Uh, and, in fact, one of the early steam engines in this area was up at Congo Pit. And I, as a boy, remember the remains of the old, or seeing the remains of the old steam engine. Uh, there was a fatality, a big fatality, in fact. Eight or ten men drowned, I think, in Congo Pit uh, about 90 years ago. 1898, Eighteen was it? Yes, yeah. yes, mm-hmm. about 90 years ago. Because the uh, workings that the men were then in became flooded through either a collapse of a boundary wall or something from a much older working which was not mapped. Oh, that was a very sad affair. I talked to uh, the last survivor of that disaster, an old man who was one of the local postmen here, uh, Tommy Barr, and... Uh, he told me that when he was a small boy, he was taken along one of the levels of the mines on the day before Christmas Eve. This was at the Congo, uh, with a message for the six miners working at the face. Now, these miners had seen some water coming through the face, and it was, uh, wasn't looking too happy. It might even have been dangerous, but they wanted to earn a bit of extra money for Christmas, so they went picking away. Now. Uh, the postman, who was then a boy, and an older man were walking along the face, lit only by a lantern, and they came to the coal face, or at least they were coming near the coal face, when suddenly 
the lantern blew out. And the older man said to uh, the young man, Run, uh, Tommy, run for your life. A blast of cold air came along, followed by uh, water. They got into the cage at the foot of the shaft, hoisted themselves up to the surface just in time because, as Tommy told me, when he got to the surface, the seat of his pants was wet. Uh, a great disaster, that, and they weren't able to dig out the bodies for about six weeks after that, owing to the flooding. That was the worst disaster that happened, yeah. or the only one possibly, was it? Uh, yes. That, type? Uh, that was about the only disaster ever occurred. They never had any trouble with gas or uh, any, uh, you know, anything that would catch fire. They never were really very far below the surface, were they? No, about 200 feet was the, uh, the farthest they got, yes. And the seams uh, ran out generally up towards the surface, wasn't that what yeah. ended the, the mining? That's right, yes. And uh, they disappeared in the direction of Loch Ness. And to get down to these seams uh, uh, in the Loch Ness area, would would have to go down about 20,000 feet, which is a bit much for even contemporary miners. Do-it-yourself was probably first pioneered in the Cool Island area in connection with coal, because... Anybody that had a pick and shovel and some timber could almost start anywhere. They had a notion that there was coal and go down, either go down vertically or go into a hillside horizontally mm-hmm. or in a little dip and bring out the do-it-yourself coal. And there was quite an amount of that went on? There was quite a lot. In this works, I can remember, about 1917... Um, my father financed uh, an old miner, an old and a very experienced miner, uh, to make uh, a road into a hillside in, in Derry, townland, and the coal came down and was used in our boilers in the works in the Cool Island Weaving Company. Report on the geology of the county of Londonderry and of parts of Tyrone and Fermanagh by J. E. Portlock, F.R.S., Dublin, 1843. To the description which Mr. Richard Griffith has so kindly contributed on the operations of the Anaher or Coal Island collieries, of which he is manager, little remains to be added from my own personal observation. The general aspect of the establishment is rude and unfavourable, as there is no air of finish, nor any of those applications of mechanical contrivance which confer elegance on the most common operations. The buildings are very limited. The coal is raised in a large barrel containing 500 weight, which is suspended on swivels and, being caught on its ascent at the mouth of the pit, is turned over and emptied successively into two large barrows, which are then wheeled off to the screen. Seamus Campbell, we're right here beside the Anaher Coal Pit in Coal Island. Uh, it has closed down now, of course, for many years. Yes, yes, that is right. It's uh, a good number of years closed. You don't remember it in operation yourself? Well, uh, after it closed, they, they, uh, they had it as a depot for a uh, coal depot. And they, they had lorries there. So Samuel Kelly had lorries, which they, they imported this coal to it. We brought it in by rail, you see, after the pits had closed. I see, so instead of coals to Newcastle, you're coals <laughs> to Coal Island. That's right, yes. yes. So they operated that for a considerable time, 
and uh, that would have been back in the 30s. So then apparently it wasn't a, a proposition and then the main and the, the, the depot closed down. So after that it uh, lay derelict for a long time and then during the war it was used for uh, the transport board, I think it was used it then, for repairing the lorries and so forth. Mm. But there's nothing there now except the chimney and the the yep. buildings that we can see yeah. there. That's 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 all there is there now, just the chimney and uh, the buildings, which now at the present time has been uh, used for uh, as a builder's yard. You mm. see, and uh, apparently the trainees there and uh, carpentry work and so forth. What sort of equipment did they use there when it was in working order, Seamus? Oh, the the uh, those two shafts, those two shafts, and those uh, uh, they had a washing machine there also. They washed the coal, uh, I believe, and uh, they had two shafts, and uh, I don't know how they operated, but those men, those those. There was accommodation over there for some of the miners, and the adults were on there. They see employed a uh, Scotchman or an Englishman. They see had done the cooking for them, and uh, they lived over there. Maybe they would have been uh, up on fifty accommodated there at one time. You were telling me, Seamus, about uh, other mines. I presume there were earlier ones where they used horses. That's right. In honour here, uh, they had a lot of mines, and the horses uh, were used for bringing the the coal up out of the out of the out of the mines. And those two barrels, one went down empty, the other one was coming full, and the horses was going round as ginning what they called it, the gin pit. Yes, this was on the top. Of course, this, this was on the top. Mm -hmm. The same as it used to be, a th I believe that there was the same attached to uh, threshing mills. The horse kept going round and round, so the horse got so familiar with this that whenever the barns were meeting in the centre of the, the what would call it, you see the the uh, well, would call it, you see the pit, pit, pit itself, do you see? The horse would ease off whenever the barrels would be meeting, because there wasn't much space. Do you see yes. the barrels could have jammed? Do you see if he had been going at the same speed? Do you see what he slacked off and took it very gently to the barrels past each other, and then he started into his trot again. He'd been trained that way. He was trained that way. <laughs> he just knew that that was the time he, he to knew, slow down. He knew that was the time to slow down. Richard Templeton lives in one of the houses specially built in Newtown Kelly near Coal Island in the early 20s for the mainly Scots and English miners who were brought in to work the Anaher coal pits at that time. He has spent most of his working life as a miner in spite of the fact that his father was actually killed in one of the local mines. My father was killed in a small mine here about two miles from where we are sitting now, a small clay mine. But he had three other brothers killed in the mines as well as himself. So it's a very dangerous occupation. Well, it's dangerous, but thank goodness I have had no accidents in it. And while I was managing that mine there, you know, for three years, there wasn't a man 
off any more than three days with an accident. We had a good time that way. Well, how did you feel about your pe- people being killed like that? How did you continue in the tradition, sort of? Well, when my father was killed in the mine here, I walked on, it was like falling off a motorbike, and getting back into the road he was killed on, and it left me, I was all right in later years, and never thought of it as being dangerous. Well, now, as you said there, you were manager of this mine right opposite here. This is Anaher no, Mine. No, no. No? I was manager of the dairy mine. Well, it's not all that far away. Well, it's not. It was the same, part of the same coal seams. But this one right opposite now is Anaher. That's Anaher. And it cut. was opened in 1924, it was, uh, was it? About, it started to produce coal about 1924, and it stopped in 1926. In November 1926, I think with a lot of mismanagement, it's not for the want of coal, there's plenty of coal in it. According to my father and according to the old men and some of the geologists, there's plenty of coal in Anahar. Apparently there was a fair amount of ill luck about nearly all the coal island mines. Well, and you see, you have to go back, they say they were raising coal here away from the Battle of the Boyne, <laughs> 1690 or something about right. that. But the people went all for the shallow coals and what they call prochain. Prochain, a wee, maybe there's some of the fields here known to have 14 mines in it or 14 shafts in it. So they took all the easy stuff. And then the, the last coal I was one of the deep coals. But it was a good four foot seam. And it was a wee bit of, I would call it a bit of management and engineering it was part of that closing too. Like Dick Templeton, Joe Duffy also lives in the one-time miners' village of Newton Kelly. And he too has had a long association with mining in the Tyrone coalfields as a steam engine driver at the end and before that as a prospector. Through uh, Peter McParl uh, from Corn, uh, Eaton Dark. I have become involved with him, born for coal in Cratley. That was in around about 1935-36. We had great trouble with the boreholes, with running sand. There was over 30 feet of running sand at Cratley. But we had bored for numerous boreholes and had no luck. And uh, more This was yourself and Peter and just together? Two, uh, Two or three more men, I just can't mind their names now. And had you much uh, equipment? No, very little. The usual, it was all hand-borne. There was no machinery. It was all done by the hand. It was known as a crosshead. And uh, we had no luck to find coal. And then the company that was trying to find the coal at that time employed a Scotch company to come over here on board at Cradley. So they come along... And they went down the fields a bit, about maybe 100 or 150 yards from where we were born. And they got coal. Eight feet deep it was, in the borehole. So uh, the company brought Stem Bourne Squad back again. That was Mr. McParnell and myself and a few. To sink the shaft. So we sunk the shaft. And money was so scarce at the time that there were six of us all together two in each shift and the way we took the sinking of the shaft 
with Mr. McParn at that time was no coal, no money. Mm -hmm. If we hit water, if we hit rock, if we hit anything at all, and got didn't reach the coal, we got no money. But lucky enough, we hit nothing, so we come on the coal, and it was eight foot deep in the shaft. What sort of coal was it? It was a really good quality coal, very, very clean, and a good bone on coal. And uh, the slack of it would have kept the fire going, you know, week in, week out. Uh, it was that, that clean. And yeah. How long did that continue? It have continued for a couple of years or more. That would uh, be uh, 30, yeah, about 37? It's about 37, 30, 38. And the strata of the coal then wasn't good. The, the, by the way, the seat of the coal, that's where the coal was set on, on the roof of the coal, that would be, you know, say the seam was, uh, it was fi contained fire clay. Uh, so when we t took the coal out, say you were walking on a ship there, and uh, left it, when you go back again, the roof would have met the, the seat. Because when the fire clay would get the air, it would ex start and expand. The, the seat would start rising up. Yes. The roof would start coming down. Yes. And your props that you had in for to hold it up, if you put in six-foot props, whenever you'd go in, you'd only see maybe three-foot, maybe only two-foot of a prop mm -hmm. the roof. And so there was no way of well keeping the two apart, was there? No way of keep keeping the two apart. We tried uh, steel circular girders and all this, but it still it was no good. And they uh, walked on like that for a while. And the coal then started to go down roads, and maybe the next day it went up roads. And uh, whatever the flood caused at that time, uh, the strata was all wrong. So it finally finished up. Largely owing to the structure of the soil. Uh, these seams of coal lie at a very steep angle. They disappear under Loch Ney, very deep indeed. Uh, not only that, but you had earth faulting in prehistoric times. Uh, the result of which was that uh, you might go along a, a level for a distance of a couple of hundred yards and end up against a, a blank earth wall. The continuation of that seam would be perhaps uh, one or two hundred feet farther down. Not only that, but there was constant flooding which was what ruined uh, one of the promising pits, the Congo pit, for example. Uh, bad luck, too, and lack of capital. Nobody ever had any capital really to sink into the industry, to do it in a really big way. The Anaher pit near Coal Island, opened by Sir Samuel Kelly in the early 20s, was probably the first of the Tyrone collieries to be reasonably well-equipped and to have a good capital backing. Dick Templeton. That was one of the most up-to-date pit heads in 1924. That washeries, that everything. I w was round pit heads in Scotland when I was young, and I never seen anything like that up there. It was really marvellous to see as a pit head. But they'd done all that work without thinking of what they were down below, whether they made the thing right down below or not, I don't know. Do you remember how it began to go downwards, how it began to fade out as, as a mine? Well... The old miners, you see, there were people come there said they were miners. But my father maintained they wasn't miners. Yes. And they came from England and places where they were used with rock strata. And they could go in below and build, make any type of building. 
And my father's idea up there was they made the roads far too wide. They didn't secure, they secured the sides and the roof and they didn't think about the pavement. Mm. And the pavement come up and helped to close the roads. So we was getting more trouble keeping the roads open because yeah. the engineering, I think, in my wee bit of experience here in Coal Island, we made the roads round, round girders, so the road couldn't close nowhere. We tied the pavement as well as the roof, and we kept roads open for years. And the old miners that had been in Anahar that worked with me always said, Dick, if they'd done this in Anahar, he said, we've been taking coal out of it yet. Mm. One of the old miners that worked with me here, Paddy Neil is dead now, part of the Saxon, as they called him, told me that he was in that Anahar mine one day when the general manager and the manager come down and they start to scribble down on a piece of paper and the general manager says to Mr Miller, he says, you know, it would pay to put a steel tube in, he says, to take this coal out. The thousands, they reckon there were millions of tons in it, mm. but they let the roads close on them. Did you ever prospect at all yourself? Well, I've been round, I've done a lot of boring around this district here for the company I work for with board and but as I say, that some of the types of coal we were born for, we could get it in one place. But the old boys away nearly 100 years ago had the rest of it out, you see. They'd, they'd, the shallow seams had taken it all away. There are still plenty of holes around the place here. Plenty of holes. You have to watch where you build a house. <laughs> yes. Uh, you could have a house dropping in on you. And I've heard of cattle being oh, lost cattle, too. I've, I've seen the cattle down at the shafts. M- remember them on worked for the company and he was putting in drills of potatoes and all he was looking where he was going <coughs> I'm on the tractor had been down the hole the, the hole wasn't there when he went up the field but when he came down there was a big hole mm. Well now we were talking earlier about the opening of this uh, Anaher mine yes. there was a big day on that occasion there's well, a, there a story a, about uh, that There is a story and a lot of the locals has a story that there more coal went down than come up yeah, no, no, it took more down than they had hoped or raised but uh I can understand that. It was a toy. And you were putting money in, I was putting money in, going to be shareholders. When you had to see the toy working. I, I know myself, if you'd have come to my main, the mine I was managing there, I always call it my mine, but it wasn't mine. It was in Derry. Yes, in Derry. If you'd have come about half past two, you wouldn't have seen a tub of coal coming up. The man was preparing to get coal for the next day. So they had to, there were about 400 miners up there, they had to have something coming up the shaft. So uh, they had to put on a bit of a show, They had to put on a bit of a show for that one day, but that's not to say there was no coal in her. Yeah, and they actually dumped the coal into the mine and, and brought well, it up they again. Took it, they filled the tubs and <laughs> yes. took it down and had all the big row of tubs sitting down and as the people come there, they got free ice cream and free meals and a big marquee up, special train. Well, and they had to see the thing open. Naturally, it was a big public relations yeah, exercise. public relation exercise. Yeah. Well, do you remember the coal boats around Coal Island? Yes, Dick? the lighters. The oh, lighters. yes, we remember them there, but that's way before the war. Coal, corn, they'll come up and take, bring up coal and corn and different things, and then they'll take away sand. I think that's why there's a place in Belfast yet called the Sand Key, and it was these lighters going down from Coal Island, just loading in the sand down at the lagging in Belfast. Then they, take, they took pipes away. They took crocks from the potteries away. Coal Island was a flourishing industrial area at that it time. It was flourishing. I've seen mm-hmm. maybe 16 lighters sitting in that, what we call the basin. 
Maybe a man and wife sitting a summer evening, sitting up in the thing, and the old boys that emptied the boats, they'd go down and meet them and have the derrick up before they landed up in the basin. It was wonderful to think. It was terrible to think it's away. The Tyrone coalfields have left their mark on the area in the form of many a scar on the landscape, but they've also left some of the industries that came in their wake and, of course, the houses in Newtown Kelly. Joe Duffy again. The, uh, these houses were built for the Colliden miners and uh, known as the Anaherm Pit. These houses were built for that. But there was no houses or anything built for Cradley. And these were built around 1924, was it? Between around 24, 26, I would say. And they're very good houses as well, oh, they're, very they're, well equipped. They're a really good house, there's no doubt about it. Very substantially built and a good house. It's got three lovely bedrooms upstairs, a little sitting room in there, open kitchen, large living room, as you see here, bathroom, everything the best at that time. And the, they even had hot and cold running uh, water then? Oh, they had, surely. I would nearly say that. You know, there might have been the first houses round about that had all the facilities. And even the coal house was specially built? The coal house was specially built that the lady of the house hadn't to go outside. The coal was put in outside and she got them from inside. And she also had a boiler, built a built-in boiler in the open kitchen or scullery, whatever you like to call it. It was just behind us here? Just behind us here. Mm-hmm. And for boiling the miners clothes. And then the, the clothes end. would be pretty dirty, yeah, obviously, uh, when they'd come the, home. But they would surely, the miners' clothes are always dirty. <laughs> and uh, the miners then cleared out of this country altogether. All the English men and wives cleared out then after the pit closed down. As a result of recent difficulties with other sources of power throughout the Western world, many people have been considering the possibility of mining coal once again in the East Tyrone coal fields. Indeed, borings have been made in a number of places at different periods during the past 60 years. There were there were borings in the uh, down at Washing Bay, just on the on the edge of Loch Ness, just three miles out of Coal Island. Now these took place in 1918 and 19. Because I have a faint recollection of having met the uh, chief engineer that was carrying out the work. Uh, my father was very friendly with him. But nothing ever came of it not, in the way of Nothing, coal. so far as I know, ever came of that. Now, the idea then was to try to trace the, if the Ayrshire coal fields extended uh, under the sea into, the, uh, into this area. Uh, I don't know where those records are. In those days, they'd probably record, been recorded in Dublin. But apparently it's a fact that uh, the seams here are a continuation of the, the Scottish seams. Well, no, I can't... Uh, I can't but geologically speaking... Ge- yeah, geologically speaking, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, other... Then there was another coal field at a place called Cratley near Churchtown. And I can remember quite a lot of coal being brought out of there. The l- latest borings that we had were in 1978 down at Clonoe, which is about a mile and a half outside Coal Island. Uh, I don't think it was ever publicly declared, publicly declared what the borings were for, but it was presumed that it was for coal and uh, it was never made public. Coal Island's local councillor, Jim Cannon, 
is naturally among the people who are interested in the revival of the coal mines of his area. Well, a couple of years ago, I discovered that the cement factory in Cookstown uh, were turning their plant over to coal-fired again after being on oil for some since it was built. And it, uh, it appeared to me that there, was, there must be some possibility for, for coal in the area again. And the attitude of the older miners and even younger people who worked in the mines up until they closed a few years back was that there's plenty of coal in this area. So I made an approach at that time to uh, the government to uh, see if they would investigate the possibilities of, of mining coal in the area. Now, there was um, a borehole uh, drilled in Killary Leap uh, last December, that's December 78, and uh, we haven't been told what has happened there. but. At the end of July, I met Humphrey Atkins, the Secretary of State, and I raised the, the question of coal with him again. And he has replied to me quite recently. He says that it, it's impractical for both economic and technical reasons to reopen abandoned mines. But he says that the, the borehole in Killary has still been uh, examined and they're continuing to evaluate the results and to see what further exploration in the area might be justified. Well, what so, do you think yourself will come of that now? Well, looking over the history of coal in the area over the past three or four hundred years, and more particularly in, in the attitudes of the, of the people who minded recently, uh, there would appear to be justification for feeling that there's plenty of coal in the area. And I think with the, the price of oil now having rocketed, would be an economic proposition to again mine in this area. But councillors and politicians are by their nature optimistic. What future do the former miners see for coal in Coal Island? First, Joe Duffy. None whatsoever. I can state that word contradiction. They all have tried it and tried it down the years, different places. No good. You might get a bit of coal here and there, but the ground that the coal's in is too much distort. Are there any people like yourself nowadays, uh, free enterprise uh, people who go along and prospect just to find what they might get? No, there's not. After Peter McPartland died, once he went out of this country, that put an end to the coal boring and mining and what we like to call it. Uh, there was nobody else seemed to take an interest in it. Even to the present day, there's nobody taking an interest in the coal. It's not economical uh, to walk. You know, it wouldn't pay you to walk it. Mm. You wouldn't ever get Even if money. you invested a big lot of money it in wouldn't the make equipment. Any difference. It wouldn't make any difference. And the final and more optimistic view from Dick Templeton. There's still coal there. There's, there's coal up there. One, I wouldn't like to walk on it. They say it's 11 feet high. That's too high. But my farm intended 300 feet down that shaft in Anaheim was a shining seam that there was nothing in England or Scotland to beat it for quality. Two foot six, and he always maintained her a fortune in her at 300 feet. And the, one of the engineers that come to me always said my father was wrong. And the second last time he came to me, he says, your father was 80 foot out, Dick. Yes. So... The way the coal's lying, it was only a matter of 
you can draw a plan how you go out and get it, but it's, it's there now and it's worth 60 pound, a, 60 pound a ton. But a lot of people would say that it's still not an economical proposition to get it out. Well, I, don't, I would like to have a million. I would try it <laughs> and I'd make maybe 20 million out of it. Mm. If I had the money, I'd open it myself. Though I'm an old man now, I'm past maybe opening <laughs> it. But yeah. I, I would, I would, I'd go with the right idea about getting it. Has not done up to now, especially the article. We grant the personal right of appeal to European courts of justice because we think and we feel that we have to take the struggle now in front of other authorities than the French government.